Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how are you doing on this cold, wet Wednesday evening? Carson, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much would it surprise you if I said I went to the range today and hit some balls? Um, I Even for you, I would be surprised. Uh, I did. I went and got a quick quick bucket in. Here, Here's my reasoning. It was a little chilly. I had to, uh, I could only go to Hefner. They're about the only place that stays open in these conditions. So shout out to Lake Hefner Golf Club for being uh, our resource on the bad weather days. But I'm playing golf tomorrow for the first time, maybe since you and I played. It's been a cool minute since I broke out the clubs. Uh, And I just wanted to go knock around a few, make sure I still knew how to make contact and get the ball to go roughly in the right direction that I wanted to. So yeah, I got out for about an hour today and layered up and enjoyed the cold. And it wasn't too bad, all things considered. Now, you tend to bundle up. How how many layers were you wearing? Uh, three on the bottom. I had like the the base layer, base layer, and then a pair of like wind pant joggers, and then my Foot Joy rain pants, and then on the top, just two layers. I had the uh, Foot Joy like cold gear turtleneck on the bottom, and then an Oklahoma State pullover on top of that. I did have another coat that I wore while I stretched and uh, kind of jumped around a little bit and ran back and forth on the range. Uh, people were probably laughing at me, but I was just trying to get warm and get my blood up because I couldn't swing in that bigger coat. So I had to move around a little bit, and then I took the bigger coat off and felt good while I was hitting balls. Well, if you need some pullover layers like Colby with Oklahoma State Insignia, be sure to shop at Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. You can shop online at Chris University Spirit. Dot com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the Pistols Firing Podcast once again. So if you need some uh, layers to pound balls like Colby, uh, because basketball season's so depressing, you might as well hit the range. Uh, be sure to shop at Chris's and get all of your Oklahoma State apparel needs uh, there. Uh, Colby, we got some basketball news to get to. We have some uh, Harbaugh going to the Chargers breaking news as we tape this pod. Usually breaking news happens after the podcast. Uh, do you want to dive into Harbaugh real quick, or you want to get to straight to Mike Boynton and company? Oh, Harbaugh! Anything to delay the basketball conversation? Let's <laughs> Harbaugh for the next twenty minutes. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed like, besides all of the NCAA stuff, which clearly was hanging over his head, it just seemed like he was always wanting to get back to the NFL. And I, I just I find that so confusing because, you know, I was the one tweeting out when he was really had it going at at the Forty ers I, I was tweeting out opinion that Harbaugh was the best coach at any level. This was before obviously Saban went on his, his run that he, he went on in Alabama. He was in the midst of it, but not quite all the titles he's won to this point. And I I still believe he's one of the best coaches in the, in the world, regardless of level. You, You just factor in what he did at Stanford. That program was dead. I mean, they were like winless one win, two win seasons before he took over. He revitalized them. And then obviously the, the the NFC title game appearances in the Super Bowl appearance uh, with the 49ers. He he clearly is an unbelievable coach. Uh, it's just it kind of surprises me, Colby, because he just does not get along with administration, specifically the NFL. I mean he he was still winning at a good clip at the 49ers, and they just couldn't stand the guy and got rid of him. Um, so I I'm a little surprised he's going to the NFL. I'm also surprised he's going to an organization like the Chargers. Maybe since th- their management's non-existent, their fan base is non-existent, he can kind of be in his little silo like he was at Michigan being kind of the, the power broker there. But on, the, on those levels, Colby, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, there were rumors that he was talking to the Chargers and that he wanted to go to the NFL. I, I really – I don't think that this move gets made if he beats his brother in the Super Bowl back in the day when it was – what was it, Kaepernick v. Flacco? I think in that Super Bowl when the it went out down in, I think it was New Orleans. Um, I don't think this happens if he beats his brother in that Super Bowl, but that is an empty shelf in his trophy case. And I think, I I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Jim Harbaugh is an egomaniac and he loves him some Jim Harbaugh. And he hates the fact that he doesn't have a Super Bowl 
and he went back to Michigan and he got it done there. And I think he wants to do it at the next level. I don't think he's going to. I think ownership matters greatly in professional sports. I think it's the most underrated thing that never gets talked about because talking about coaching decisions and players' mistakes that they make and all these things, that's fun to talk about. The billionaire spending the money, that's boring. But guess what? The Chargers, they have terrible ownership. They haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1994. It's the only one that they've ever been to. Um, Yes, they have Justin Herbert, and that's great. They're also many millions of dollars over the cap. All of the rest of their players that are any good are old. It's it's not a great situation despite having a quarterback, and that's the one thing you need in the NFL. Not to mention, let me just rattle off the quarterbacks that he would have to get through with that franchise and that quarterback who has a cannon but has not proven by any stretch of the imagination that he can win in the NFL. These are the other quarterbacks in just the AFC for the next decade. How about Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, um, let's see here, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, if, if he turns into anything what, like what he looked like uh, as a rookie, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, do those guys do anything for you at the quarterback position? This just, I don't think that this is going to work out. I think that he'll wear his welcome out in L.A. probably in the next three to four years um, and won't achieve that high-level success that he's seeking because it's just it's not that easy in the NFL. You don't get to stockpile talent. Um, there are no monopolies on talent in the NFL. It is a league built on parity and contracts and salary cap, and it's hard to make it all work. And I, I don't know how much better Justin and Herbert can get. You're going to have to improve everything around him, and I don't know how it all works. So I would give this probably three to four years, and then I think he wears out his welcome, and I don't know if he goes back to college. I don't know what he does at that point, but I don't see this being a, a long-term Jim Harbaugh hangs around for the rest of Justin Herbert's careers, and they win a Super Bowl or two together. I don't think that that's how this story plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll make him better. He's proven that he does that everywhere he goes. But I, I'm with you. I, I think Herbert's maybe the most overrated player in the NFL. Um, just, I mean, he's he's got all the he's got the fantasy football numbers. He he does not win. He's not a winning quarterback in this league. Now you can argue, you know, is it the organization he plays with? Again, the Chargers to me, they don't have a home field. <laughs> Their home games in LA. There's always more fans for the opposing team. That's a big hurdle with that franchise being in LA. I still don't know why they thought they, that was a good idea to move there. Um, but they've got a bad owner. It is a, it's a poor ownership for the chargers that matters in, in professional sports. Yeah. And I, maybe Harbaugh sees that as an advantage that he can just run the show because he famously told Jed York, who was the CEO of the 49ers when he was the head coach there, when he came into a meeting, he said the meeting was for real men only. <laughs> he told that to the CEO of the 49ers and that's, was the beginning of the end for him there. I, I think he's going to, I think he'll win football games. He'll make them better, but he'll, he'll wear out his welcome because he's a capital J jerk. So, but that's, that's the Jim Harbaugh news. We didn't miss any breaking news there, but let's, let's get to basketball Colby. Um, obviously Oklahoma state's losing streak continues. They lose 74 to 69 to TCU. And, and once again, Colby, the you know Marshall Scott's posted his five thoughts. I kind of want to go through them with you. I mean, their their offensive lulls has kind of been the hallmark of the Mike Boynton era. Once again, they get off to a great start. They had a seventeen point lead at one point, but just they there's these large spells of no field goals. You know, their the final field goal of the second half came with five fifty seven left, uh, which is a continuation of the trend we saw against Kansas State with the final seven and a half minutes. Just when it gets to crunch time, Colby, they just cannot buy a basket. And that's not a trend this year or the previous year. That's been a trend of the entire Mike Boynton era. Yeah, that's a huge trend. Another huge trend is what we saw happen in the last, call it eight minutes of the first half. Um, these long dry spells of offense where they just seemingly can't generate good looks. They can't get anything to fall. And then it just snowballs to the effect that you're up 33 to 16. And I, I mean, we're doing bedtime last night, and I walk in, Oklahoma State's up, up 22 to 8. And I was like, whoa, okay, here we go. And I sat down, I start watching. I'm like, they're playing some serious basketball. This looks good. And then it just all unravels. They go through one of those dry spells that, that have become just part of what Oklahoma State basketball is offensively for the past few years. And then again, at the end of the game, you have to get meaningful buckets. Um, you have to... to be able to hang on to the ball, not turn the ball over. We saw it again on Saturday against Kansas State. Man, I feel for Keon Williams. He he looks like he's playing harder than anybody out there. And twice this season, with 15 or fewer seconds on the clock, uh, and you're down by one point against Baylor, you're down by two against Kansas State, and you've got the ball, and twice, 
Keon's turned it over in that situation, and I, I just feel for him because I know I know that that's eating at him, and it, and it has to. Um, but it's just those little things that Oklahoma State can't seem to get past right now. Um, and it's just, man, it's, I, I don't want to throw the word depressing out there. Like, we're just talking about basketball. That, but, man, it's depressing watching this team. And we talked about it last week where Gallagher-Iba has gotten to. And um, I told my wife last night watching the game, they were showing the students, and she was like, that used to be you and Matt and Ty up there. And it was my buddy's freshman year. And I'm like, yeah. I said, honestly, shout out to these students because we were in there to watch Marcus Smart and LeBron Nash and Markel Brown. They're out there on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock when it's freezing cold uh, to watch a team that's 0-6 in conference play. So shout out to the people still showing up to GIA. Uh, I missed my only chance to go last week because of gymnastics, and I can't imagine I make it the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, the students really brought it. I was I was happy to see that. The uh, the wide shots of Gallagher-Iba, it's as bad as it's been, and it's been bad for the last 15 going on 20 years uh, as far as attendance because this program just – cannot pick itself up off the mat but i was i was happy to see those the students really brought a good energy uh the ones that decided to go and shout out to them they were they were they were fantastic but uh avery anderson returned uh in a tcu uniform he said it was weird flying into the stillwater airport for him and he played really well at 15 points uh nine shots but uh, colby the the biggest play of the game came with 19 seconds left when javon small was driving to the basket and anderson basically flopped and they called a charge and uh it was a three-point game at that time that really ice ice things so avery anderson played well in his comeback and and i think anderson's a another example colby i mean they're not all like for like in that osu players have transferred within the conference but i think another hallmark of the boynton era is players rarely exhaust their eligibility under mike boynton they usually hit they were hitting the portal before the portal became the portal <laughs> And Avery Anderson's another test case of that. So um, I thought he played well. And that that horrendous call was just – for a program, Colby, that has been bad for 15 years, is the worst in the Big 12 this year, it just seems like to me they get no benefit of the whistle. And it's been that way for a while. How many times, Colby, at halftime have the officials been booed off the court in Gallagher-Iba? I think that partly goes to the arena not being what it used to be because you look at Allen Fieldhouse and all the calls they get up there, it just seems like – go back to the Baylor game, the calls that were made in that game this year. And I'm not making excuses that this, this is not why OSU is losing basketball games. It just compounds the, the fact that they're a losing program. This is how you get to 0-6. They're also not getting the benefit of the whistle either. Yeah, I honestly, I, I think you have to tip your cap to Avery Anderson a little bit. Um, he went full Marcus Smart, and he timed it so perfectly because what Javon Small did, it was just the ever so slightest extension of, I believe it was his left arm, to where his forearm made contact. It certainly was not a foul. Um, Avery would have barely felt it. And you could see in that moment, Avery processed, oh, his arm came out. I'm going to fall down. You could see it because... You don't have to trick the official on the on the baseline. You don't have to trick the official on the east side of the arena. You just have to trick one out of three, baby. And he got the guy at midcourt on the west side there in Gallagher-Iba to blow his whistle and call the foul. Um, yeah, Oklahoma State does not get a good whistle in that building. I, I don't know the play before. I think the Eric Daly call was probably 50-50 on him sliding underneath the other guy, whether that was a play where they're both going for the ball. I think sometimes it gets called, sometimes it doesn't. And then Avery Anderson with just truly a, a beautifully executed flop at Oklahoma State's end of the court. It, it's just one thing after another at the end of these games, Carson, that keeps Oklahoma State from winning them. And I looked this up earlier because I was curious. We keep saying Oklahoma State's obviously the worst team in the Big 12, and they are. But I wanted to look nationally at the Power Five and see how many teams – in the Power Five, men's college basketball have yet to win a conference game as we near February. Any guesses on the number of teams, um, what is it, 60, 70 teams in the Power Five that have yet to win a conference game? Um, three. Boy, you nailed it. Oklahoma State, Vanderbilt, and Missouri. Those are your three schools, your three programs that have yet to win a conference wow. game. Um, I mean, it's almost February, Carson. It's almost February. Like, uh, this is brutal, and I, I don't think Boynton's going to survive it. I, I think he knows it. If if somebody wants a positive thing, I'll give them this. 
they haven't quit. They played hard against Kansas State. They played hard against TCU. Like, they're trying to grind out these wins, and they just can't get it done in the last five minutes. Uh, and it's painful to watch them just lose. Uh, I mean, it was blowouts there for a while, but now we've had six conference games, three blowouts, and then three close, absolute heartbreakers uh, that you feel like you could have won. And, and how much differently does this thing feel at three and three in conference? But that's not the case. You are what your record says you are, and they're 0 six in conference. It's brutal. You said you don't think he makes it through this year. I don't. I don't think he makes it uh, after this season. Pardon me. Did I? Did I mean, I no. I mean, you don't think he makes it after this year either. Uh, I don't. I don't. I. I think that. I mean, this is rock bottom, isn't it? Uh, dead last in the conference. Yeah, that's that's I mean, an. Ex- I mean, I know this conference is the best in the country, but yeah, I mean, to be one of three power fives winless in conference play with no end in sight. I know Ken Palm does give them a fifty percent chance to win uh, at home against West Virginia on Saturday, but I mean, would you wager money on them beating West Virginia? I don't know. I I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised. If they choose to go another direction, it's going to cost them $6 million. His buyout drops to $6.67 million on April 1st. Um, there's two ways to look at it. That, that's a lot of money to, to ask a guy to not coach your team. Um, you also look at the fact that Gallagher Ibe is virtually empty. Uh, that's that's lost revenue. Um, also, Chad Weiberg has, is trying to fund a basically a new athletic village, $350 million. Uh, money's money's tight. Can you afford to pay Mike Boynton off $6.6 million? I don't know the answers to those questions. Um, but I'm, I'm on record. I, I, and I find it hard to believe another coach couldn't come in here and do better. Um, he's had enough runway. I know there's been obstacles, which we've talked about ad nauseum, but this is again, the hallmarks of his teams are crunch time offense non-existent i mean five six seven eight minute droughts when the game's on the line um you look at all the the mass exodus on rosters i used to beat up travis ford on that he has a tough time retaining his rosters as well i mean he's already got isaiah miranda just poof gone no explanation there um the hallmarks of his teams have been poor offense and crunch time finding ways to lose and his one NCAA tournament appearance and win came with the number one overall pick in the draft, and they lost to a double-digit seed in Oregon State. So it's I, I I struggle to come up with reasons to keep Mike Boynton basketball-wise. I do think the financial aspect of it could bring him back for another year. Yeah, and we've got some people on Twitter that have asked, you know, what what case could you make? to bring him back and, and just to, to play the other side. I mean, you can make the case that guys enjoy playing for him. He recruits well. Um, everybody loves him. Like the, the contract, like you can make those cases, but at some point Gallagher is empty and they're losing games. And would this be a good time? We actually had a listener. People have been tweeting, asking about, you know, potential coaching candidates and stuff. I said, we'd get into it later in the season, but we had a listener last week. Uh, message me with a list, and basically he Ooh. went out of play and he did some research for us. There's uh, four of them here with resumes, and then four that are just named. Would this be a good time for me to run down this? Let's do it. I love coaching lists, uh, <laughs> even though there's currently a standing head coach at Oklahoma State. Way, shout out to Matt Truelove for this list. He uh, must have had some time one day and went in and did it at Coach Truelove on Twitter X. Um, Indiana State Josh Josh shirts. 87% winning percentage, small college guy, but has won everywhere he's been. So Josh Shirts, Indiana State. Next one, Florida Atlantic, Dusty May, had the final four run a year ago, hot commodity. Uh, Will Wade is now at McNeese State, former LSU coach. He does come with baggage. Oh, yeah, uh, a lot of baggage. I don't know about you. I, I even messaged Matt back, and I was like, these are all intriguing to me except Will Wade. I just I, – I can't go from – uh, what Boynton is as just an upstanding human being that I love representing my program. <laughs> I can't go from that to Will Wade. I don't know if you feel that way too. Uh, I don't think the administration would go that way considering now OSU didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's a joke what the NCAA did to them, but you want to stay off the radar. I don't think hiring Will Wade's the way to go. 
Yeah, I agree. So, um, and then Liberty, Richie McKay, coached at Virginia under Tony Bennett, seven straight 20-win seasons, last five seasons. He's amassed 131 wins, six straight years playing for a conference title. So those are the ones that he listed with resumes. And then he said top assistants to go after, Kellen Sampson at Houston. Oh, dear. Pique your interest at all. That's oh, oh, dear. There's layers to that one. I played middle school basketball against Kellen Sampson. Fun, fun fact there. Uh, Norman Alcott against my Central High Tigers from Edmond. Uh, they also had uh, the Mississippi State Athletic Director Zach Selman was on that team. So you look up in the stands, Colby, as a middle school kid like myself, you see Kellen, uh, Kelvin Sampson in the stands to watch your middle school basketball team, and I'm sure uh, Dewey Selman was was up there somewhere as well. So that fun fact. But no, I don't. I don't think they're going to hire Kellen Sampson. I think I think Kellen's kind of the Sean Sutton to, to Kelvin. And I think he'll, he'll probably either wait out Kelvin to retire at Houston. He's getting up there in age or he'll, he'll take a, a different, bigger job. Yep. Yep. So other assistants and these guys are at big time programs. Uh, Jay Lucas at Duke, Alvin Brooks, the third at Baylor, Curtis Townsend at Kansas. And then he said, here's a dark horse for you. John Lucas, the third NBA assistant coach, the last seven to eight years currently with the Suns. Again, shout out to Matt Trulove for sending that our way. Uh, at the end of the season, I will go through and compile uh, my own list, and some of these names might be on it if, in fact, Oklahoma State looks to make a coaching change. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I would have excitement just for a fresh start in Stillwater. I think I've professed as much love for anyone, uh, as much love as anyone for Mike Boynton, but I do think it's time for a fresh start and a different voice. And I realize that that has me spending a lot of other people's money, but that's what we do on podcasts, right? That is. Um, the guy I like a lot is Dusty May from Florida Atlantic. I've heard his name some. Uh, I've I've asked some people up in Stillwater. Um, multiple people have mentioned Dusty May as, as a guy that – I think would garner some interest. Um, he's obviously, as you mentioned, coming off the final four, uh, hasn't won huge at Florida Atlantic, you know, T nine, ninth, fourth, T second, and then first in their, uh, in their conference. Um, but he obviously coming off a, a 35 win season, they're 15 and four this year, five and one in conference play, but a younger guy was an assistant at Florida, um, uh, with, uh, Mike white. So, Kind of a younger up and coming guy. He's only 47. Uh, but that I don't I'm not sitting here saying they should hire Dusty May. I think he he's kind of the prototype I expect them to hire. That was one of their questions we had. Um, I want to give them credit. They were kind of asking, you know, do, do they shell out big money to go hire a big name coach? Or do they hire kind of a more mid-major type who, who's one big? And I I kind of think a guy like Dusty May, who is winning big at a different level. Uh, I think is the type of hire they could make because I think he'll be a little cheaper than going to hire a big name from another school. And I just think it was kind of the Brad Underwood model. Remember they hired Brad Underwood from Stephen F. Austin. He was winning like gangbusters there. Uh, Dusty May clearly winning, winning big at a place like Florida Atlantic going to a, a final four. I think that's the model. Um, a guy who's a proven winner, knows basketball. But another layer of this Colby is, what are these coaching candidates' outlook on NIL? This is a whole different era now when you're looking to hire a coach. How do they treat NIL? Are they are they good at it? Do they embrace it? There's so many other factors now just besides X's and O's and winning and just straight up, you know, high school recruitment as well. Yeah, 100%. I uh, another thing that's interesting, Dusty May in April of last year after the final four run uh signed a 10-year contract extension with FAU. I I don't know what the um the money is on that it's like 15.7 million is what i'm seeing here 1.25 uh million per year and it'll increase by five percent each year total base salary comes to more than 15.7 million over the 10 years i don't know what any kind of buyout would look like before that um but yeah man that's uh He's making some money and he's got a long contract. So that's something you'd have to be worried about. But yes, you'll have to ask tons of questions about NIL, uh, how you handle that, how that looks different at Oklahoma State than a place like who else was on this list? Indiana State, where Josh Schertz is at. I'm sure NIL uh, and collectives are a little bit different at Oklahoma State than they are at Indiana State. So yeah, I think that there are, are definitely some questions to be asked as far as what goes into this hire. But 
Um, there are some exciting names in college basketball that I think Oklahoma State fans could get a little worked up about and um, hopefully re-energize the program because it's just it's fallen flat a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes I say some prophetic things on this podcast. The last last pod I said, you know, I know the Doug Gottlieb bring Doug home campaigns, you know, gone by the wayside. That that's not happening. Clearly, OSU's administration doesn't want to hire him, but Mike Boynton does. It came out the next day that on pistols firing from Marshall Scott, that Doug Gottlieb's been assisting with OSU basketball as a consultant. So about once a month he comes in, kind of gives his outsider perspective. Um uh, Mike Boyden said, quote, he doesn't have a position. Doug's not on staff, but he is consulting me and the staff a little bit and trying to give us some ideas about things as I don't want to say neutral because he wants to see us win, but as an outside observer, that's really, really knowledgeable about the game. So I posed that hypothetical uh, jokingly, and it turns out Doug Gottlieb is consulting with Mike Boynton and company. And and look, people can say, oh, he's a media guy, whatever. He, he comes from a long well, – I don't have to read his resume. You know who Doug Gottlieb is. He comes from a coaching family. His brother's coach. He's coached a, He coaches an AAU program. Uh, he, he knows a lot about basketball. He knows X's and O's. So I, I was encouraged by that. Obviously, the results haven't been there going 0-6 to start conference play, but the bring Doug home campaign uh, kind of happened in a little way. Yeah, it did. And look, Doug knows ball. I have no problem with this at all. Um, like you said, we don't need to list his resume. Oklahoma State people know what he is in terms of, of a basketball knowledgeable guy. Um, not a glowing uh, resume, I would say, if, if we're taking the last three months. And that's Doug Gottlieb's time with Oklahoma State basketball as, as an analyst slash advisor. I would say that that maybe doesn't reflect uh overly great on what Doug Gottlieb has brought to the program look I'm not in those meetings it's easy to just criticize everybody when they're losing um and I said it earlier for the same price they could be three and three in conference but they're not and it's because they can't execute down the stretch in close games and they keep losing all the close games um what are they now like oh and seven oh and eight in games decided by five points or fewer so um yeah, I, I, I have no idea what Gottlieb has said to the team. I have no idea uh, what impact he has had with his analysis. But, I mean, it's just pretty evident that everything they're doing up there isn't working right now. Well, once a month isn't going to change, what again, what I reference as hallmarks of, of Boynton's tenure. I mean, he can give, he can give some ideas, but putting them into practice and, and winning games is a, is a much bigger hill to climb. So, um, yeah, we uh, let's just hop into the Twitter question. We've been answering them. That was Kyle. Uh, he's got a funny handle, but his name's Eric Shun. Asked about the do, does OSU hire a, a low mid level coach uh, that makes a run in March Madness, or do they bring out the Brinks truck for an already established, proven head coach? I don't. I don't think they bring out the Brinks truck. I think kind of the candidates you discussed or that you brought up uh, from our listener was was were really good ones. So that's the type of hire I I, I fully expect Oklahoma State to make. Should they make a move? A good question here from Kyle Wu. He always sends some really good tweets to me. The shout out to Kyle Wu. He said, should we consider covering the third level of GIA with screens that show stats, videos, et cetera? UT's new Moody Center has something like this to create a better atmosphere. Uh, I'm all for bring bring the black tarps. Bring, bring the tarp. Uh, bring the curtains and move everyone down to the old school Gallagher Iba level. If if people go to my Twitter page and look at my new cover photo, I, f- I found this great photo of old Gallagher Iba Arena. And my God, is it is it gorgeous? And my God, does it bring back some great memories? Those circular windows with the light shining through. I used to sit about three rows in front of one of those bad boys. And obviously, in hindsight, Colby, they built it too big. We don't have to go over all that. But I do think those are some some creative ways that he referenced to spice up Gallagher Iba in terms of bringing the fans closer and making it a more hostile atmosphere for the people that do choose to go. I am looking at this photo right now, and wow, I am too young to have ever been to old Gallagher. I if if I went as a kid, I don't remember it. It is uh, it would be something really special in the modern era to still have a gym like that. I understand why they expanded it. There were no thunder. Oklahoma State basketball was on top of the world. Oklahoma State football was terrible. I think everyone just assumed that Oklahoma State basketball would be like Kansas and Duke and UNC forever, and and it didn't happen. Um, And now, obviously, it's way too big. But, yeah, that's a cool picture, and I agree. I would be in favor of uh, bringing the tarps down, putting some screens on them, whatever whatever you want to do. I don't think that you should have – 
Um, I mean, that would just look so much better than so many empty seats throughout there. So, um, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, let's see here. Let, let's go off the board. Let's go non-basketball. Tyler Scott Cable. Seinfeld or curb your enthusiasm? He says, we'd rather talk about something good, you know? All right, you're up first. Seinfeld or curb? I like curb. I just never quite dove in head first. I've watched it kind of off and on, never watched a full season. So I got to go Seinfeld. I grew up watching that at home with my dad. So I, and I still watch reruns when it's on. I just like curb. It's almost too uncomfortable. His, his interactions he has, he's, he's almost too much kind of a, of a jerk. <laughs> he's kind of a nerdier version of Harbaugh in some ways. So I got to go with Seinfeld. You just took my exact answer and articulated it. I had never seen one single episode of either of these shows until probably three or four years ago. And I started watching Seinfeld. My mom finally talked me into it. I started watching Seinfeld. I binged it. It was phenomenal. I've watched it all the way through probably, I don't know, four, four times now, maybe all the way through phenomenal show. And then I'm like, all right, I've got to try curve. It's Larry David. I've got to try curve. And I really wanted to stick with it because everyone talks about how great it was. And I made it, halfway through season four maybe to the end of season four and i thought the same thing that you thought i'm like this guy just he, he almost treats people a little too uncomfortably um and and in a non-comedic way i don't like it had its moments but in terms of just like a great show that i can sit down and binge i'm going seinfeld 10 times out of 10 yep i'm with you um Started rewatching Cheers. I I was too young to remember Cheers. My dad watched it a lot, but uh, started rewatching Cheers recently too. They got that on uh, either Peacock or Hulu. I get all my apps mixed up. A uh, good question here from Brian Metcalf. As of this exact moment, are we a tennis school or a wrestling school? That's a good question. I'm going to answer that in one second, but I want to ask you more about Cheers. I have considered watching it, but I thought to myself, this is too old. It's too far back in time. Would I still enjoy it today? Does it? Does it? Stand up. It's well, it's hard. The first I've only watched a few episodes of the first season. They don't have all like the, the s s true stars of the show aren't on it yet. They've got kind of the core, but like Kirstie Alley becomes a big part. Uh, Woody Harrelson's not on it yet. So I'm kind of waiting for all the stars to get in there. I think the first season was successful, but I think it really takes off once all those people get there. I haven't quite got there yet. Okay. I'm, I'm, I might give it a chance uh, as I seek a new sitcom and stop just rewatching the same ones over and over again. I'm in the middle of <laughs> again. So, um, Brian, at this exact moment, are we a hashtag tennis school or a hashtag wrestling school? I would say at this moment, we are hashtag both, um, undefeated across the board. Tennis is hosting the round of 16 through the national championships for, uh, for tennis is being hosted at the, what the green Greenwood center there in, in Stillwater. So, um, yeah, wrestling is undefeated and looking good. They're ranked number five in the country. Tennis and wrestling are on fire, Carson. So we might have to shift a little bit more that direction, start giving some more tennis and wrestling updates the rest of the way. Yeah, we should. Um, certainly more positive than, than what basketball is turning out to be. This, this was interesting, and it kind of goes along with the question you wanted to ask. Um, Weston Setagast says, does Gundy have a Jerry World problem? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's 0-5 there. Could it be a situation like OU where that star logo intimidates him? He's referencing my my long my long standing theory that when Mike sees that OU logo, he, he takes it like channels him back to his playing days, and he thinks, you know, Bosworth and the the national championship '85 teams on the other side of the field. Uh, also, why hasn't the Big Twelve come out with football dates yet? Is there a chance we still add schools? Uh, I'm not sure about that part, Colby, but I think the O and five and Jerry World thing is. A lot of times he's out talented in those games. Certainly the Texas game this year, uh, the Ole Miss game, the Cotton Bowl. That was that was one that certainly they they should have won or had a much better chance to win than they did. But Zach Robinson was beat up. Brand Whedon had cobwebs over there on the sideline for some reason. So he may have a Jerry World problem, Colby. But hey, it's a big game atmosphere, and he he plays a lot of good teams there. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it's a, a Jerry's World problem. I mean, you look at some of the games they played there. The Baylor game, that comes down to two inches. Um, could have just as easily gone the other way. Too the, soon. I know, too soon. The, the Florida State game, I mean, that was a game Oklahoma State just played over their skis, surprised the entire country. and Coming off the national championship, and they made the playoff that year, no less. 
Yeah, I mean, I've slept since then, but didn't that game come down? Wasn't there like a fumble over the middle of the field, guys going down and just doesn't keep the ball all the way to the ground? I see yeah, that. something like that. Yeah, I can't remember who it was and, and wouldn't want to call him out anyway. But... Tyreek Hill playing running back for about a few carries a game. He's like only like a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like he's just one, literally the best player in the NFL, probably just talent for talent. Uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, pretty incredible the way Tyreek <laughs> used. We don't need to rehash all that. But um, I wouldn't say it's a Jerry's world problem. I would say you look at it individually on a case-by-case basis. They were just flat out talented by Texas um, and Florida State, to be quite honest, and almost won that game. Oh, Should have beaten Baylor. That's the one that hurts. If they'd beaten Baylor, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That one still hurts. Yeah, that's true. All right, one more, the one you had uh, saved. Oh, yeah, this was, uh, wasn't was on Twitter. This was a text that I got from a buddy of mine this week. Shout out to Cody up in Tulsa. So I've got a tough question. How would you compare Eddie Sutton's legacy at Oklahoma State to Mike Gundy's? That conversation has layers and layers and layers. Um, Carson, you, you can give your thoughts first. I've definitely got some. Compared how? Like just who was had a better tenure? Better career, better tenure at Oklahoma State. Well, that's why I say layer. So let me let me tell you what I'm thinking a little bit first. Um, different eras, right? But Mike Gundy has overseen the most successful era of Oklahoma State football. Uh, Eddie Sutton oversaw the most successful era of Oklahoma State basketball. When Eddie Sutton was at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State was a basketball school. Mike Gundy has now transitioned Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is firmly a football school. So um neither have won a national championship both very close i think we could make the argument that oklahoma state in a single elimination tournament in 2004 i mean they were just so close and oklahoma state in a system that doesn't allow for more than two teams to uh play in a playoff in 2011 probably was the best team in the country so the the peak excellence for both is pretty comparable the fan excitement from both, I would say is pretty comparable. GIA's best days, I think, were probably under Eddie Sutton. Uh, Boone Pickens Stadium's best days have been under Mike Gundy. I think that there are some some serious parallels between Mike Gundy and Eddie Sutton. Yeah, there are. Um, Eddie won more conference championships. He won two Big 8 regular seasons. He won a Big 12 regular season. Won two Big 12 tournaments. Uh, two times AP National Coach of the Year. Uh, both of those were not at Oklahoma State. Uh, Henry Iba had the best tenure of any basketball coach at Oklahoma State. I think you're referring to the modern era. Yeah, um, I am. I, and that's no disrespect to Henry Iba. It's just things things were very different. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me, um, I mean, it's it's hard to compare. And I do think what Mike Gundy has built is far more difficult than what Eddie Sutton did. I mean, Eddie Sutton basically took Leonard Hamilton's players <laughs> and made a sweet 16 right off the bat. I mean, that just shows you that you get a good coach with a handful, just, just literally a handful of good players. Uh, you can go win a conference and, and go compete for the national championship. I think what Mike Gundy had to build from, you know, basically a construction site at Boone Pickens stadium, thanks to Boone to top 10 and wins over the last 15 years uh, against all the financial odds that are stacked against him going up against Oklahoma and Texas. I think what Mike's done is more difficult. I think their accomplishments, I would probably have to lean towards Eddie. Uh, he won bigger for longer. Um, maybe not for longer, but he definitely won bigger. So I, I would give a slight lean to Mike also for the fact, the way things ended. Um, look, I, no one loves Eddie Sutton more than I do. Uh, he was like a God to me when I was a kid going to old Gallagher. Um, but the way things ended were, were really sad um, with the, the alcohol abuse that, that came back up. But um, that's a tough question. I, I would slightly lean towards Mike for the degree of difficulty, but I think Eddie had a, had a bigger, a bigger coaching legacy. If that makes sense. Both of them are hall of famers in my opinion. Yeah. And, and one thing that I think is, is worth mentioning and it, it popped into my head whenever you mentioned the alcohol abuse there at the end is Eddie Sutton oversaw one of the greatest tragedy tragedies in the history of collegiate athletics. I mean, yeah, um, that's worth noting for sure. 
by the way, we're we're approaching what is it, Saturday? January yes, yeah, January twenty seventh. Um yeah, we're approaching the Remember the Ten anniversary. And um I, I know people talk about how much that impacted Eddie and, and how much that impacted his life and <clears throat> having to bear that every single day, it's just it, it's unfathomable. Um so in that sense, there, there's not a parallel. There's no parallel to what Eddie went through in, in that tragic scenario. Um, I, I do think that what Mike Gundy has built with Oklahoma State football in terms of taking a, a program that had always been an afterthought and you've essentially got the boogeyman looming over you 100 miles down I-35 because Oklahoma has always been this behemoth um, and, and were for a lot of Mike Gundy's tenure. I'm curious now to see with Oklahoma and Texas departing the conference, um, you know, Mike Gundy's book isn't finished. I, I don't know what chapter we're on. I don't know how close we are to the end. But I do think that now with Oklahoma and Texas moving out, because Mike Gundy's always been very good, exceptional, when he coaches against teams that have comparable talent. And we've seen him struggle to beat Oklahoma. Uh, we saw in the Big 12 championship game this year, Texas was just too big, strong, and fast. I'm curious to see whether he can tack on another couple of conference championships here late in his career to even further solidify his legacy. Um, not, not that he really has a, a whole bunch more that he needs to do to appease Oklahoma State fans. He's done just about all of it. But, um, yeah, I think Mike Gundy building what he did and and – taking a basketball school and turning it into a football school and a program that is, I think we still think underrated nationally, but certainly a program that is respected nationally. I don't think Oklahoma state ever really gets laughed at like Iowa does or anything like that. Um, yeah. I think what Mike Gundy has done is probably the more impressive feat in building the football program to where it is. Uh, but that certainly doesn't take away anything that Eddie Sutton accomplished at Oklahoma state. They are the two legends for a reason. Yeah. Uh, also worth noting, Eddie, um, three final fours, um, two at Oklahoma State. Um, you get a banner <laughs> when you make the final four. It's it's not winning a national championship, but you look at those banners and they mean something. Uh, so it's it's a tough call. I I I, I almost want to abstain, really. But again, Eddie Eddie brought me so much joy as a kid growing up, following Oklahoma State. I just hope OSU can get back to that. It was. Calgary is still is a special place. I mean, you walk in that place empty and it just gives you chills. It's a, it's a special, special building. And I hope they can get things back the way they're supposed to be. Um, you got anything else before we get to our toast of the week? Uh, just looking here, it, it is a home game on Saturday for Remember the Ten. So it'll be Oklahoma State hosting West Virginia at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So anybody who's able to go out uh, and support in those festivities, that's a day I, I lost a, a friend of mine who I worked with, played baseball with in high school on that same date, our senior year, died in a car accident. So, uh, yeah, January 27th, emotional day for a lot of people, for a lot of Oklahoma State fans. So, um, yeah, everybody get out to Stillwater if you can. It's a, a winnable game for Oklahoma State and a big day for the university and the history. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's get to our toast of the week brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Check out the light lager. I've been talking about their uh, more heavier beers. How about the the light lager, an exceptional brew that appeals to customers who don't want to sacrifice character for a low calorie, low carb light beer. Uh, skillfully pairing a caramel malt, malt flavor and mild hop character creates a beautifully rich colored beer with deep amber highlights that finishes smooth and clean. It just oh, it looks so good, Colby. I'm looking at the picture of it right now. I'll have to go pick up some Yingling light loggers. Uh, be sure to get you some Yingling. We appreciate them sponsoring our Toast of the Week. Which direction are you going in with the uh, Toast of the Week? Well, I, I'm leaning toward going to the NFL. I, I, am I allowed, Carson? The Super Bowl is not going to be played for two and a half weeks. Am I allowed to go ahead and uh, credit Justice Hill and Tylen Wallace with rings since it is undoubtable that the Baltimore Ravens are going to roll their way to a Super Bowl? Boy, I hope so, because I can't stand the Chiefs. <laughs> I just can't stand them. I know that I, I'm an outlier. I know I'm, I'm a, the minority there, but I cannot stand the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs. I, I root for greatness, uh, and Mahomes is greatness, but so is Lamar, and I want Lamar to get one, and I want Justice to get one, and I want Tylen to get one. So it, today it's just going to go to Justice. He had 15 touches on Saturday, uh, and Lamar, look, Lamar was the leading rusher. He leads the stat sheets, 11 for 100 and two touchdowns. But Justice Hill had some really good runs. That game was actually close for about three quarters, and then Baltimore just imposed their will in the fourth um, when they were just flat running all over Houston. 
I, I just think Baltimore is so, so good. And I'm so happy for Justice because I talked about this a few weeks ago. Prior to this season, throughout his career, every time he would get his opportunity, something would go wrong. He would get injured. They would bring in another guy. Like, it was just one thing after another that something would go wrong. And then there's this nonsense where they go out and get Dalvin Cook because the Jets let him go so he could try to play for a ring. I'm like, don't you dare bring old, washed-up Dalvin Cook in to take touches away from Justice Hill. And Dalvin got some in the fourth quarter, but Justice still got his. 15 touches on Saturday, 13 carries for 66 yards. That's more than five per carry. And then he had two catches for 11 yards as well. Picked up a big first down on a third down. I think it was in the third quarter where he put his head down. Uh, kind of similar to what Jaden Nixon did against BYU, except it was a third down. He just put his head down, barreled through somebody, and picked it up. So uh, I'm so happy for Justice that injury has not derailed this. Like, nothing has derailed this. He's getting his opportunity. He's playing on the team that I am just almost certain is going to win the Super Bowl, and he's and he's he's valuable. Like He's really providing something to that team. So it's been a long time coming for Justice Hill, who I think is now in his sixth or seventh season with the Ravens to finally get this opportunity and put it all together. And our boy Todd Monken's calling the plays. It's uh, I mean, it's purple and black, but it's orange and black too up there in Baltimore. Oh yeah. Todd's man. What a job he's done with their offense. I mean, Lamar's just had just horrendous offensive coordinators throughout his career. Man, he's he's killing it. He's done such a good job with them. He's he's a hell of a coach. I'm I know he got some looks from the Chargers as well. Um, he's not a name hire. And it's it's kind of like when he got hired at Oklahoma State. We were all like, "Who's Todd Munkin? Uh, he's friends with Mike Gundy. Okay, let's we'll see what he does." And he ends up being you know one of the best offensive coordinators OSU's ever had, and clearly one of the best play callers in the NFL. So I'm I'm hopeful. Todd, he, he's coming off a national championship with Georgia as well. So uh, let's see if he can get another ring, right? Yeah, I mean, the guy wins at a high, high clip with his offenses. I think if he was younger, he'd probably be a hotter head coaching commodity. I just Googled it. He turns uh, 58 on February 5th. So, I, I mean, NFL teams, they want to hire the, the new 38-year-old genius. We know Ben Johnson's going to get a job. Mike McDonald, the D coordinator in Baltimore, he's probably – Zach Robinson? going to get a job. My, Zach Robinson is uh, getting some OC interviews. So I think Todd Monken might wind up being the OC in Baltimore for a while. And that could be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, uh, but I, I enjoy watching the AFC way more. We, we've got another, I don't know, five, 10 years of watching Mahomes, Lamar, Allen, Burrow, and Stroud go at it. Like all in the same conference. That's insane. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I love what the NFL is turning into on that side. Well, I grew up a Buffalo Bills fan, thanks to Thurman Thomas, and I got teased at school. Boy, I love losing Super Bowls, Bills. <laughs> got tired of hearing that, watching Dallas win Super Bowls as a kid. I've never heard that acronym, and that that's a, that's a good chuckle. Oh, kids of the 90s use that a lot. Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. Um, boy, did I hate hearing that in school. I uh, had a Buffalo Bills hat. I think I had a starter jacket at one point. I I loved the Bills. They they ran no huddle. They were so innovative for early '90s. It wasn't even funny. And Thurman Thomas, being an OSU guy, obviously I was a Bills fan. I had built I had Buffalo Bills sheets, bed sheets. I was all in. But you know, I get older and I don't really have a connection to Buffalo anymore. But I kind I really wanted to see them beat the Chiefs. So I'm gonna pour one out for my man Tyler Bass, who was channeling his best Scott Norwood. We went wide right in the Super Bowl. That was the Bills' best chance to win a Super Bowl against the Giants. And, boy, I feel bad for those fans. They got eight feet of snow every single day living up there. They've, they've wanted a Super Bowl so bad. And, of course, disaster struck. What it What is it with field goal kickers and wide right and me? I, I grew up a Florida State fan and a Buffalo Bills fan. And those field goal kickers have caused me a lot of pain over the years. So I want to pour one out for for my Buffalo Bills fans out there. Yeah, that's a good one. I just, uh, I wonder, Tyler Bass, next year you think he's kicking for Edmonton, Winnipeg? Like, who, who do we think he's going to wind up with? Well, he's a decent fantasy kicker. He's been he's been pretty good for them over the years. I know he struggled at, toward the end of this year, and if that happens, you usually get fired. So he'll he'll probably be some, he'll probably be one of those free agents to get picked up in the middle of the year. Yeah, he, he missed two against Pittsburgh, I think, and then he missed the big one against Kansas City. If anybody picks him up, it's got to be a team in a dome. There's no way I could be a team that plays in cold weather in the wind and uh, just have any confidence that Tyler Bass is going to step into one with the game on the line. That's what makes uh, Justin Tucker so impressive. You know, Baltimore, it's always it seems like it's always raining there. Uh, it's windy there, and he's still just the, the greatest kicker of all time. 
Yeah, I mean, even in that game on Saturday, he's just drilling uh, like a 52-yard field goal or something in this win. And then at the end of the first half, Kaimi Fairbairn, who'd only missed one field goal all season, steps in to kick a 47-yarder into the win, and it's just drifting, drifting, drifting dead. Wide right. Um, yeah, kicking in those conditions is so difficult, and Tucker's been doing it his whole career. He, he's the best to ever do it, bar none. Uh, one more toast. I want to toast uh, Seymour Shaw. Do you know who that is? Oh, I know. I've heard the name. I'm I, just just tell me, but I know who you're talking about. He played running back at Oklahoma State under Les Miles. I think he ended up transferring to UCO actually. Um, but uh, my man Pistol Peter OSU on Twitter, uh, he tweeted a picture of a slot machine. He says figures at the goats slot machine is a minimum ten dollar bet, and he added Barry Sanders. And it's clearly an OSU football player, number two. And I, I, I knew right away who it was. I Googled to confirm. It's Seymour Shaw on this on this slot machine. They've kind of whited out a little bit of the OSU logo, but you can still kind of see it. But it's it's 1,000% Seymour Shaw. I'm just curious. Pre-NIL, he wasn't getting any funds for this. Now post-NIL, can he get some kickbacks for this? I want to give him a toast, and hopefully he's getting some some royalties out of this deal. Uh, great question. Yeah. Seymour Shaw. I, I knew I knew that name. It's on uh, my Twitter. If you want to go, if people don't know what I'm talking about, go to my Twitter. It's a few tweets down, but I, I have an actual picture of Seymour and then the picture of the slot machine. Was he, I'm trying to remember who was his quarterback? Which teams were he on? Was he on? Uh, he, he was on, uh, he played in the, uh, 2002 Bedlam game that Oklahoma state won. So Josh Fields, I wonder, I'm trying to remember when also Poe guy was there when I was a kid. Also Poe guy, it's obviously just because he has the coolest name of all time. I loved me some also Poe guy when I was like seven, eight years old. Uh, Seymour Shaw was there from Oh two through Oh four. So kind of the, the last three years of, of less miles, 10 years. So he, he ran for his first year in Oh two, he ran for nearly 500 yards, 363, 377, uh, nine touchdowns through his career. And then he ended up transferring to UCO. I can't remember why, but uh, Seymour Shaw, a name that not many people remember. I, I don't know how I – I knew that was a mid or a early 2000s running back, and it just popped into my head. Like, That's Seymour Shaw. <laughs> that is a crazy name, of pool. Can you hear my co-host who just wandered in here, by the way? Say hi. She's waving. She's waving. She said hi when my mic was muted, and now I told her to say hi, and she's going to wave. Uh, I couldn't hear her, but her her first official appearance on the podcast. That's good stuff. And I could get her to say dinosaur. <laughs> nope, she's got stage fright. All right. All right. <laughs> back, to you, back to you in the studio. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's all I had for you, Colby. You got anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I don't believe so. I appreciate all the Twitter questions and shout out once again to Matt True Love who put that list of coaches together for us. Um, that was great. And and more to come at the end of the season or, or if Oklahoma State decides to make a change. Uh, everybody, remember the 10 on Saturday. Thanks for listening. As always, go Pokes.